0: You may be seated. I'm so glad Jesus found me, but I've lost my iPhone. Has anybody seen it around? Uh, I don't know what I did with that thing. It's probably on my, in my office somewhere. I don't Have you ever lost something? I'm constantly losing things, and every time I lose something, I've got to go seek it out, try to find it. On one occasion, I lost my car keys. I left the church, went home, parked in the driveway where I always part and got in the house and did my evening routine and then before bed I thought where are my car keys and so I turned the house upside down looking for my car keys couldn't find them went to bed thinking about my car keys should have been thinking about Jesus well I was thinking about my car keys and so I woke up and 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 I I knew that between where I parked and where I laid my head down on the pillow to sleep my car keys were somewhere So far and yet, I mean so close and yet so far away. So I got up the next morning. I looked feverishly for my car keys, had to get to work. You know, probably had a meeting with the session. Couldn't find my car keys. So I finally said, I'll just get my spare pair of car keys and hope somebody's at the church and the church is open. And as I opened the front door, found my car keys. They were right where I left them, in the door lock. And so thankfully God protected us. (laughs) from would-be robbers, but have, have you ever lost something? And sometimes when we lose something, it's so close, but because it's lost, it's so far away, it's separated from us. And today we're looking about some things that were lost. One son was lost and he was so far away from the father. One son was lost and he was so close, but yet so far away from the father's heart. We want to look at things that were lost And why they were lost and what that tells us about being lost and what the remedy is for lostness and being separated from God. And before I read the passage today, I want to say one thing as far as preparation to give you my understanding of the significance of this passage to people The prodigal son represents unsaved people that have never repented of their sin and trusted in Christ. They are living in a far country because of their sin, lost and separated from God, the Creator. The elder son represents unsaved people who think they're saved, Because they do all the right things. And they think they're saved because their righteous actions, they believe, gain God's approval. But they're just as lost as the prodigal son. Because their works righteousness will never save them. And they resist grace. So at one level, the parable of the prodigal son is about unsaved people being lost. But on another level, the prodigal son is about saved people who play the prodigal. It is about saved people who stray from their father to a far country and sin. And they need to be found, as it were, and brought to repentance. The parable of the prodigal son is about saved people who are separated from the Father, though right under the Father's nose, so to speak, but they're separated from the Father's heart because they have strayed from grace and they're once again living in relationship with the Father based on their personal righteousness, trying to gain the Father's approval. The approval that they already have in Christ, they try to gain it by their own personal righteousness and they're separated, they're distant, they're in a far country. Separated from the heart of their loving father. This parable is for every single person here today at, some, at one of these two levels. So let's read it. Verse 11, chapter 15 of Luke. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger, son of, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother, older son, was in the field. And as he came and drew nearer to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fattened calf for him, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Would you pause for a moment? And reflect upon these words, and then we'll pray. Father, and what a privilege it is for us to address you as Father. As we come to this parable, as we consider it on the two levels for which I believe you intended it to be considered, open our hearts to see our need to repent and go into the party and celebrate. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So our framework is very simple today. You'll find the outline of the sermon. The message there in your bulletin, will be looking at the father and his mission, the father and both of his lost sons, and then the father and the good sons. I think we have three sons referenced in this parable, and I'll show you that at the end. But we want to begin by looking at the father and his mission. And in looking at this, we want to answer the question, why did Jesus share these three parables that we see in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel? And I think one reason is theological. It's theological because this parable is about the mission of Jesus. It is is about the mission of God. You may remember when, when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus the tax collector, and he said, Zacchaeus, You have responded rightly and salvation is coming to your home and this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 for the son of man came to seek seek and to save the lost that's his mission and that is the mission we find in the bible of God the passage that was read in Ezekiel points to this big story this meta-narrative of scripture and here's what Ezekiel said I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. God's mission is to seek and to find and to gather his people from sinful humanity and to love them and to redeem them in Christ Jesus and to gather them to himself that's his mission and that's one reason why Jesus tells this parable but there's a second more practical reason why Jesus tells this parable because he's facing the disapproval of the Pharisees and the scribes. look with me at the first two verses of chapter 15, 15 verse, chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 we read now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him that is Jesus And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the the Pharisees and the scribes represents those that believed they had a right standing before God because they did the right things. They were self-righteous. They based their relationship with the covenant God on their personal work, their effort. They believed they merited it. They conform to Jewish law. And then the tax collectors and the sinners are those who, first and foremost, were Jews. But in the case of the tax collectors, they had aligned themselves with Rome, and they were viewed as outcasts and sinners. And with regards to that category, sinners, they were people like prostitutes. That they're, they're li- they just made choices that were contradictory to God's law. And so the, right, the morally righteous, the self-righteous view tax collectors and sinners as defiled and outcasts, unworthy of any benefit of God. And we see that that's the context in which this takes place. The common practice of table fellowship, gathering together around a table, obviously communicates hanging out together, Right? and enjoying one another's country company. But when table fellowship is mentioned in context in scripture like these it means something very profound. It means the grace of God in gathering undeserving people to fellowship with him around the table. And what the Pharisees and scribes saw Jesus doing was something contradictory to what any good upstanding Jew would do associate with tax collectors and sinners. Why would you do that? You're sinning in doing that. And yet what Jesus was doing was demonstrating his mission, seeking out sinners to save them. And the response of the Pharisees and scribes was to, be dis- to show disapproval towards Jesus. Those people should never, ever be or have a place at the table with someone like Jesus. But like a duck to water, tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Jesus. Why? That's what Jesus came to do. To associate with tax collectors and sinners to seek the lost and to save them. And so Jesus responds to the, the Pharisees and scribes' objection by giving these three parables. The first two parables in Luke chapter 15, the sheep and the coin, you know, man goes out and looks for one lost sheep out of 99. The woman spends all this time and effort and just looking for one you know, little old coin that you know, really didn't amount to much. And then when the sheep is found and when the coin is found, what happens? They call their family, their friends, their neighbors, and they have a great celebration. And what these first two parables in Luke tell us is this this, this wonderful lesson that the Heavenly Father has compassion on the lost, the lost sinner. And He seeks them. And He calls them to repentance. And when a lost sinner repents... There is celebration and joy in heaven. Look at verse 10 of this passage that that we find. It it really is a a summary of the fact that celebration takes place with just one sinner repenting. And yet we see this contrasted with the Pharisees grumbling expressing disapproval over Jesus doing the very thing he came to do to seek the lost and to save them and then after telling these two parables Jesus talks about this father and his two sons I've entitled this section this second point the father and his lost sons you know, when we look at, at this parable, what, what, what is it entitled in your Bible and mine? as the parable of the prodigal son, as if only one son, the younger son, was lost. But in reality, they were, both, they were both lost. It probably should be called the father and his two lost sons. They were both separated. And the question is, why were they separated from the father? Why did they need to be found? So let's look at the rebellious son, Let's look at the, 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 the younger son that we find listed in verses 11 through 24. That's his, the, the account of, of him. And we just need to remind ourselves that this rebellious son, this younger son, represents uh, humanity that is in a far country and separated from God due to sin. And so the younger son became lost to his father because of his sinful rebellion. He wanted what he wanted. He wanted to live his life like he wanted to live his wife. And he so desperately wanted that that he showed utter contempt and disrespect to his earthly father. And the depth of his selfishness and his disrespect and his sin against his earthly father is noted in verse 15. Father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. In other words, I want my inheritance now. And I want to paraphrase really the implication of what this son demands of his father. Dad, I wish you were dead. I am sick and tired of your influence in my life. You hinder me. I want to live my life like I want to live my life and I don't want to be anywhere near you so you will hinder me. I know what is best for me. So give me my inheritance so I can go live my life. Dad, I want this so much, I wish you were dead. (laughs) Put Put yourself at the Father's place. You're talking about a dagger in the heart, and you know what? Maybe some of you have actually heard that from a child. Well, that demand already shows us that the son was separated from it had separated himself from the love of his father, doesn't it and so the the surprising thing to me is that The father complies with him. And so in effect what the son has done is that he has cut himself off from his father. He has cut himself off from his father's name. He has cut himself off from his family. He has cut himself off from his village. He has cut himself off for any future inheritance. He has forfeited all of that and he gets his little sum of money. And he sets off to a far country. A far country so he could be as far away as he possibly can from dear old dad. He wants to take that good upbringing that dad has has really uh, spoken into his life. And he wants to cast it off like an old rotten dirty shirt. And be free of it so he could live the way he wants to live. And that's exactly what he does. But we see in verse 13... That he squandered all of his wealth in this far country with reckless or foolish living. Now, what's striking about this to me is that the Word of God doesn't give any details about what reckless and foolish living is. And I think there's a reason for that, much like we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was in Paul. It's kind of open ended, it could be all sorts of things. Because your reckless living may be different than my reckless living. <laughs> and the minute you start detailing reckless living, you say, oh, well, that's not in that list. And I don't do that, so I'm not re- living recklessly. I mean, reckless living, prodigal living could be all sorts of things. It could be immorality. It could be materialism. But ultimately, it's idolatry, isn't it? I want the life I want. And I want to live it on my terms. And I'll do anything to get it. I'll even wish my dad dead. But here's the twist. This choice that he made cost him everything. Because he squandered the wealth. <laughs> and then the economy tanked. There was a famine. And he was left destitute. So destitute is that he hired himself out to a pig farmer. And he had absolutely nothing. He wished to eat the scraps left over from the pigs. And verse 16 really tells the story. And no one gave him anything. Where in the world is the compassion in the civilization, right? No one gave him anything. The guy had hit rock bottom. Well, here's the reality. When God pursues a wayward child, when God pursues a prodigal uh, sinner, that is destined to come into the kingdom God often sovereignly works to create such a crash. Do you know what I mean by that? I've told this story many times before I'll tell it again it's a marvel to me but when I was a senior in college I experienced being humbled and broken and devastated with nowhere to turn hitting rock bottom. I know what it's like to be a prodigal. Do you? I felt like everything was done for. But by God's grace, as He was pursuing me, by crushing me and by devastating me and by bringing me to rock bottom, he was pursuing me to turn me back to himself. And by his grace, I realized, wait a minute, there is a way out of this. And it's by turning back to God. Look at verse 17. I I love this. The prodigal, the rebellious son, came to himself in other words in all of his brokenness in all of his humility in all of his desperation being at rock bottom maybe a foot below rock bottom he came to himself that's grace nothing short of grace grace to not even be able to add one plus one equals two, you come to yourself and know what the problem is, my rebellious sin, and to know the answer to that problem, repenting to my Father and begging for His forgiveness and reconciliation. And so he comes to himself, even though he's at rock bottom, nowhere to go. There is a way out, because he remembers his father's compassion. And so the son gets up. He returns. The funny thing about this is that he rehearses this little (laughs) speech of confession, doesn't he? (laughs) And so he's ready. You know, he's going back to his father. He's—I bet he smells. He is dirty. He obviously doesn't have shoes. He's been completely divested of anything that would point to him as this man's son. Even his status in the community has been forfeited. I mean, he's a nobody. He's nothing. And here he comes with his head held low, and he's walking to his father. Then verse 20. Verse 20 is so profound in this story. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote this. The eyes of mercy are quicker than the eyes of repentance. Then Spurgeon says, God can run where we can scarcely limp. And if we are limping towards him, he will run towards us. Have you ever experienced God running towards you? I have. It was broken beside my bed when I was a senior in college with nowhere to go. God ran to me, as it were, and enabled me to come to myself and to see my sin, to see my need to return to my father. See, the father had not left me. I had left him. And so the son returns to his father. But verse 20 tells us that the father was looking for his son's return. And before the son ever laid eyes on the father, the father saw him. And here, one of the most important men in this village, a nobleman, an honorable man, runs, which was very dishonorable in that culture for such a man of status to run. This man basically cast aside any any status he might have in that community. And he sprinted like some of the races we've seen with the Olympics. This father would have beat them all to run to his son. Because running to his son who had so dishonored him and disrespected him and wasted his reach. He ran to his son because it was fueled by love for his son. And that's what God does when he pursues a sinner. He runs for them even before the sinner can lift their eyes to God. So you know the story. He gets to the son... You know the the son is basically wanting to be reconciled to his father. We know he had no expectation of being restored because the the son's little speech that he rehearsed is that, "Father, forgive me." And by the way, Dad, can you just make me a hired hand in your family? Re- Restoration wasn't even in his vocabulary at the time. He just wanted to be re- he just wanted to have a roof over his head and some food to eat. He knew he could get that as a hired hand in his father's estate. But the father would not just simply reconcile, he would restore. And we see the, the ring, the robe, the shoes, all points to complete restoration of the status of this, let's call him a knucklehead of a son. he's not only restored to the father. He's restored to the family. He's restored to the father's name. His status in the village was restored. Even his future inheritance was restored. Everything was restored. Better than being reconciled. And that's what God does. And then these precious words. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. Have you ever wondered why it was a fattened calf and not a fattened goat? Well, I have. And the reason is you know, a fattened goat might, you know, feed a family, but the celebration was so great it needed a calf a big animal, plenty of meat, because the whole village was celebrating that which was lost being found and restored. What a marvelous story. The first two parables teach that God seeks, finds, enables repentance, forgives, and restores lost sinners and wayward children who have strayed. And that's cause for celebration Maybe today you are lost in a far country. Or maybe you are, a fa- you are the fathers, but you've strayed into a far country of sin. And what this parable calls us to do is to come to ourselves, which is God's grace, and to turn to the Father and his love by repenting and be ushered into the party because the party's for you, a repentant sinner. I'm going to stop there today, though the parable doesn't stop there. And next week, we'll look at the dynamic of the elder son, the self-righteous son. Let us pray. Our Father, I, I would ask you to work mightily in our lives today as we reflect upon your grace and mercies and our waywardness, if not our outright lostness because of not seeking you and, Father, we have great hope today. I have great hope as your child who plays the prodigal time and time again that you're always there. You're always looking for my return. You are working in such a way to cause me to come to myself and to return. And, Father, I have great hope today. As I know, there are people out in this world that don't love you. There are actually some may be totally against you may be angry at you. They are from a far country, separated from you by sin. And yet, Father, there is no separation too great that you, the compassionate Father, will run to them and draw them to yourself and fuel their repentance and usher them into the party where their celebration for that which was lost has been found. Father, so work in our lives, we pray. Give us hope. Give us encouragement. I know there's some here today that have wayward children. What a burden to bear. But yet, Lord, remind us all that we're wayward. We play the prodigal. We play the elder brother. But your grace is sufficient to bring us back home where there will be a celebration. Cause us, Lord, to rest in the gospel for Jesus' sake. Amen.